Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 46. Genesis chapter 46. And, <clears throat> you know, I, I don't know how other pastors are. I can only tell you how, how I think and how God works in my heart. But periodically, uh, as I pray and prepare for messages, so, there are times that God speaks to me. And you, you just get to hear what God did in my life. Does that make sense? Um, you know, there are most of the time God gives me messages and, and, and I work through them and pray about them and, and I learn and grow through them. But then there are times that God just gives me a message and says, this one is for you. You just get to share what I'm doing in your life. And this, that's what this one is. And I, I'm excited to share with you uh, what God is doing in my life. Um, but anyway, uh, <clears throat> periodically, someone will ask me a question with something that I struggle with in my life. Uh, and I, I always kind of, it, it always, I don't know if this makes sense, but it, it, it it, it almost causes me to catch my breath a little bit. Because I believe that most believers, most Christians, struggle with the subject of the message this morning. Not just me. And th this, is, this is the question that I get asked quite often. Pastor, how do I know the will of God for my life? How many of you have ever struggled with that question? We all have. I, I will even have people tell me, you need to tell me what God wants me to do. <laughs> Ain't happening. That is way above my pay grade. <clears throat> yeah. I, I, I can't I don't know what the will of God is for your life. I, I struggle keeping myself in the will of God. How can I how can I tell you what it is? I, I can't. But this in the in this in our series that we're doing in the life of Joseph, we're gonna see here this morning how maybe there, we're going to see some things that might help point us in the direction that we can go so that we can know and stay in the will of God in our lives. Let me say this. The will of God is not a secret. God wants you to know what the will of God is for your life. And he, he will reveal it. We just need to be sensitive to understand what it is. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18, it says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Let me say this. The, the will of God in our lives can be known. It's not, like I said a minute ago, it's not, a, it's not this great secret or, or a, 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 a carrot that God dangles out in front of us and we end up chasing a carrot all our lives. 
That's not what the will of God is. The will of God is attainable. It is something that he wants us to know. Uh, Again, and we see it in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. It says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It starts with us changing how we think. That is, that is one of the first steps, and we're going to see that as we progress through the message this morning. Oftentimes, we want God to answer specific questions in our lives. Where do I work? Where do I live? Uh, who do I marry? <clears throat> what car should I buy? That's a big one. And, and, I, and, and the list could go on and on and on. But the, the important thing is God gives us the ability to make choices. And oftentimes when we are in the midst of making choices, what do we want? We want a, we want a scapegoat, do we not? But God, you told me to, to buy this car with you know, $1,200 car payments. hopefully you don't blame that on God okay just saying but God gives us the ability to make choices and one of those choices is that we try our best as it says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 to change the way we think so that we think like him so that when we make choices, we make choices that would reflect his will for our lives. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may uh, instruct us? But we have the mind of Christ. See, God's given us all the tools that we need. This book, this this book is one of them. Uh, friends, our relationships, our churches, so on and so forth, give us uh, the ability to be around people that we trust and that we can go to and and ask for advice. Um, <clears throat> the key is wanting God's will, not our own oftentimes what happens what I find is when people come to me and say hey what do you think about this and those of you that are older know what I'm about to say the person has already made up their mind they're just coming to you not for advice but for for what yeah confirmation that yeah what I want to do is right and I, I, I try never to respond if that's the case because I don't want to fall into that trap. The will of God for your life is going to be different than the will of God for my life. But how do we find it? Psalm chapter 34, verses 4 and 5, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Again, it starts with our relationship with God. It's really pretty simple. The title of my message this morning is Knowing 
the will of God. Knowing the will of God. Genesis chapter 46 brings us to the point where Joseph has revealed himself to his brothers. He, he has sent his brothers back to, to, to uh, the land of Canaan uh, to, get, to get Jacob, his father, and bring him back and all of this stuff. And, and, and um, so we're, we're, we're coming to the end of our story in the life of Joseph. And, but in the first four verses of chapter 46, the, the focus is not on Joseph, it's not on his brothers, but it is on Jacob, their father. So let's talk about Joseph, or excuse me, Jacob. Let's talk about Jacob a little bit this morning. Jacob now is faced with a choice. Do I go to Egypt? What is the will of God for my life? Let's read. Genesis chapter 46, verses 1 through 4. And Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifice unto the Lord, the God of his father Isaac. And God spake unto Israel in the vision of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, and he said, Here am I. And he said, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down to Egypt. Let, let, let's stop right there. If if God says to fear not something, do, doesn't that indicate that Joseph was fearful? Okay, so kind of keep that in the back of your mind as we as we continue on. <clears throat> fear not to go down to Egypt, for I will there make thee a great nation. I will go down with thee into Egypt and will also surely bring thee up again. And Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love. And Lord, we do ask that you would speak to our hearts, that you would uh, encourage us through your word and that you would change our lives. And Lord, that you would just help us to understand how we can know the will of God for our lives. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. At this point of Jacob's life, he's 130 years old. Now, let me, let me say this. I have no desire to live to be 130. Okay, just, just saying. No desire. But he's 130 years old at this point in his life. And on the surface, it looks like it is a no-brainer that he and his family make the trip from Canaan down to Egypt. For a couple of reasons, on the surface, it, it looks like it's a good, good, good thing to do because first and foremost, that's where Joseph is, and Jacob desperately wanted to see his his son Joseph. The other thing is there was a there was a famine in the land, and Joseph had promised to give the 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 uh, Jacob and and his descendants. Um, uh, uh, Land in Goshen, which is the 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 most lush uh, part of Egypt, the so the promise is there, and the, and on the surface it looks like 
it would be a no-brainer to make the trip. But not everything seems to be what it is. Jacob wanted the will of God for his life. But Jacob had some reservations. As we read a a moment ago, he had fear about the trip. He had had some trepidation. He he was fearful about making the trip. Now, I want to say this because this is important in the the context of all that's going on here. Not everything that looks good is the will of God. Kind Kind of file that one away in the back of your minds. Just because something looks good and it would appear everything is like falling into place does not necessarily mean it's the will of God for your life. This is a struggle that has been taking place since the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6 it says, And when the woman saw the tree was good for food, had it been a cactus, do you think it would have been tempting? Probably not. (laughs) You You know, maybe, I don't know. But what happened? She saw that it was good. Not everything good that looks good is good. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eye and uh, a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. See, Satan doesn't tempt us with bad things. What does he tempt us with? Good things. And Jacob understood this. And Jacob was nervous. He was scared about making the trip down to Egypt. So let's talk about his struggles here. Um, He had a a couple of struggles with, with this trip to Egypt. The first one, the first struggle... Uh, that he had was is his grandfather. His grandfather Abraham <clears throat> had gotten into big trouble in Egypt. Those of you that are familiar with the story, um, <clears throat> in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 10, uh, and there was a famine in the land. Okay, what land was Abraham living in? Anybody know? The land of Canaan, exactly where Jacob lived. Maybe not the exact same, but in that region. And there was a famine in the land. Boy, does this sound familiar. And Abraham went down to Egypt and sojourned there. And the famine was grievous in the land. Abraham had a, had a wife named Sarah. And Sarah apparently was a very beautiful woman. And when he got down to Egypt, he, he pulled Sarah aside and said, Hey, if anybody asks, you are my sister, you're not my wife. Okay? Now, in a technical sense, that is true, but he was still his wife. So Abraham, Jacob's grandfather, goes to Egypt, very similar conditions, And he tells his wife 
to lie if asked. Well, sure enough, guess what happens? Pharaoh sees her and says, hey, hey. <clears throat> and Abraham lies to Pharaoh. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 17 and following, it says, and, and, and the God, uh, uh, and, excuse me, and the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abraham's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, uh, what is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me that she is thy wife? Why sayest thou she is my sister? So I uh, might have taken her to, uh, to me to wife. Now therefore behold thy wife, take her and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. In other words, Pharaoh was so mad, he called his guards and said, get him out of here and walk him to the border, basically. Because he did not want him coming back. <coughs> so he was fearful to going to, G to, to Egypt because of what his grandfather had done. The second reason he was fearful was because his father Isaac started to go to Egypt, but the Lord stopped him. In Genesis chapter 26, verses 1 and 2, and there was a famine in the land beside the first famine. <clears throat> so this is famine number two. Jacob is in famine number three, okay? So there's three famines that we're talking about here. Uh, <clears throat> and Isaac went unto uh, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto uh, Gear. And the Lord appeared unto him and said, Go not down to, into Egypt, dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. <clears throat> so the second reason, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Jacob is a little, has a little bit of trepidation about going to Egypt is because his God directly told Isaac, don't go. So now, Jacob is faced with a decision, do I go to Egypt? My grandfather made a huge mistake down there. My dad was prevented from going by God. I, I would say that that is a closed door, by the way. Okay. <clears throat> the third reason that there was fear in the heart of Jacob is because of the culture that was very different. The culture that was very different. You have to understand that Jacob and his sons were just simple shepherds. They were, they were nomads. They were used to living in the desert, wandering around the desert, following the herds and, and, the, and feeding. And, and that, that was their life. It was a very simple life. And they were going to be moving to Egypt, which was a very advanced society. It would be very similar to taking somebody who grew up on a rural farm in Iowa and, and shipping them into New York City and, you know, getting off a bus and saying, there you go, kid. You know, so it's a, it would be a similar situation. Plus, Jacob also understood that the Egyptians were polytheists. 
which means that they worship many gods. And that he and his family were what we call monotheists. Hopefully that's what you are, uh, where you worship one God. And it was going to, and Jacob knew in his heart that this was going to be a problem. So there were some struggles that caused the fear in Jacob's heart. The second thing I want to talk about uh, is the place. Look at verse 1. And Israel took his journey with all that he had, and they came to Beersheba. Beersheba is an, an important place. Beersheba means, the word means, uh, <clears throat> well of the oath. It, in Genesis chapter 21, it's where Abraham and Abimelech make the agreement that Abimelech uh, was going to allow Abraham to uh, <clears throat> sojourn in the region called uh, Negev. It's the Negev region, very, very uh, arid climate. And, you know, because he was a shepherd, they were nomads. This was a perfect place for them to live. And the agreement was made at Beersheba. So Beersheba is an important place in the life of, of Jacob because <clears throat> it was there that Abraham dug wells and planted trees. It became, a, it became an oasis, if you would, in the desert. It was also the place that uh, Abraham lived after he uh, tried to sacrifice his son Isaac in Genesis chapter 22 on Mount Moriah. After that event, they went and they lived in Beersheba. So this this, this place has a, has a, has meaning to Jacob. In Genesis chapter 26, uh, we see that this is also where his father lived and worshipped God. In uh, Genesis 26, verses 23 to 25, and he says, And he went up from thence to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared unto him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham thy father. Fear not, for I am with thee, and I will bless thee and, multi and multiply thy seed for my servant Abraham's sake. And he built an altar there and <clears throat> called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants digged, digged well. <clears throat> Beersheba became an, an important place in the life of Jacob. It was where his father worshipped and talked to God. It was a place of, of, of uh, importance in the life of his grandfather, Abraham. Uh, and so <clears throat> Jacob gets to Beersheba. Now, as I, as I was studying and I was thinking about this, <clears throat> God reminded me that I need a Beersheba in my life. I need a place that I can go and meet with God on a regular basis. We need, we, if you're a, if you're a believer this morning, you need a place where you can get along with God. Because that is where 
you will find the will of God for your life. I have a couple of places out in the desert that I like to go to when I just need to get alone and just talk to God. Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, it says, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Again, this is talking about a prayer closet. Having a place where you can go to get alone to meet with God. And that's exactly what Jacob was doing. Even Jesus needed a Beersheba in his life. In Luke chapter 5 and verse 16, and he uh, withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. Jesus needed to get alone with his father as well. Too often, I think one of the biggest mistakes that we make is being too busy. And when we get busy, what happens? God gets put in the back burner, doesn't he? And God becomes something that we do occasionally. But what does God want to be? He wants to be preeminent in your life. We need a place where we can go and get alone with him. So we talked about Jacob's struggles. We talked about the place. Now let's very quickly here try and um, uh, talk, talk, let's talk about the promises because th- this is important. And and please, God gives us five things here that five promises that I want to I want to kind of focus in on. <clears throat> Look at verse two. And God spake unto Israel in a vision of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here am I. The first promise that I want to look at this morning is, I'm still here. I'm still here. Jacob, Jacob. Why, Why is this so important? Because, you know, why was Jacob there? Jacob was there because he, he, he put up an altar and he worshiped God and he needed an answer from God. And the first promise that God says, God, Jacob, I'm still here. Those of you that remember the story back in Genesis chapter 32, what did Jacob do with God in a place called Peniel? He wrestled with God. Genesis chapter 32, verses 27 and 28, he said, And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be uh, called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince thou hast power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. In verse 2 here, he says, Jacob, Jacob, hey, I haven't forgotten about you. Have you ever felt like God's forgotten about you? I've been there. My pastor of 20 years used to say all the time, <clears throat> if your relationship is not what it need, what, what it used to be, <clears throat> and you're here and God's over here, guess who moved? God didn't move, you did. You need to move back to God. 
And there are times in our lives and seasons where we go through that we, for lack of better terms, we turn away from God and we get away from God and it feels like he's not there. And he says, Jacob, Jacob, I haven't forgot about you. I I remember your name. I know your name. God knows your name this morning. The second promise. I keep my promises. I keep my promises. Look at verse 3. And he said, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make thee a great nation. What was the promise that God is reaffirming in the life of Jacob? That God is going to make a great nation out of Abraham. And he made the same promise to Isaac, Abraham's son. And now he's reaffirming that promise to Jacob. He's saying, fear not, go down. I have, I have number one, I, I'm still here and I will keep my promise. Genesis chapter 28, verses 13 and 14 said, uh, And behold, the Lord stood about it and said, I am uh, the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac, and the land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. And, that, and thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the, to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. There's a lot of peace. There's a lot of peace that can happen in your life when you remember that God fulfills his promises in your life. He has not forgotten about you. He will do what he promised in your life. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5, Every word of God is pure or trustworthy. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. The third promise that we see here is not only that I'm still here, I will keep my promise, but I will be with thee. Look in verse 4. And I will go down with thee into Egypt. I will be with thee. You're not going to be alone. God looks at Jacob that that night and, and he says, Jacob, I'm going to go with you. You're not going to be alone. You ever feel alone? Yeah. But God's promise is that he will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, For he saith, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 8, 
And the Lord, he it, he it is that doth go before thee. He will be with thee. He will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. Fear not, neither be dismayed. He will be with you. When we are struggling with the will of God in our lives, it is a great comfort to know that God will be with me. There are times in our lives that I believe with a lot of a lot of firsthand experience <laughs> that God will ask us to do things that are a little scary at times. And our tendency is to to kind of back off and say, oh, you really want me to do that? You want me to go down that road? Are you kidding? And one of the promises that we have is that, hey, if it's my will, I'll go with you. That's a great comfort to know that he will never leave me. The f- <clears throat> During the Mau Mau uprising in Kenya in 1960, missionaries Matt and Lori Higgins were returning one night from Nairobi through the heart of the Mau Mau territory. When Kenyans and uh, excuse me, where Kenyans and missionaries alike had been killed and dismembered, seventeen miles outside of Nairobi, their Land Rover stopped. Higgins tried to repair the car in the dark, but couldn't get it started. They spent the night in their car and claimed Psalm chapter 4, verse 8, I will lay down uh, and sleep in peace for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. They prayed that prayer. They quoted that verse. They closed their eyes and they went to sleep. In the morning, they were able to repair the car. A few weeks later, uh, the Higginses had returned to uh, America on furlough. They reported that night to a uh, <clears throat> before. Uh, excuse me. Uh, they reported that the night before they left Nairobi, a local pastor had visited them. He told them how members of the Mau Mau had confessed to him that uh, uh, three others had crept up on the car that to kill the Higginses. But when they saw the 16 men surrounding the car, the Mau Mau left in fear. And the, the missionary Higgins said, 16 men? I don't know what you mean. Well, while they were in the United States on furlough, a friend, Clay Brent, asked the Higginses, if they had been in danger recently. And he asked him, he said, well, why? And, he, and his friend replied, he said, on March 23rd, God had placed a heavy burden on my heart. 
and I called the men in our church and 16 men showed up and prayed until the burden was lifted. God never leaves us. See, the promises of God are a wonderful thing and can bring us great peace. Now the Higginses could have gone the rest of their lives and never known about what had happened. But God gave them a glimpse into into the supernatural, if you would, to let them know that he was always going to be with them. Promise number four. Your descendants will come back to the promised land. Verse four again. And I will go down with thee in Egypt, and I will also surely bring thee up again. Your descendants are not going to stay in Egypt. They will come back to the promised land. And we all know, because of Charlton Heston, the, the story of, that, of, the, of the migration of the, of the uh, children of Israel. Now, let me ask you a question. Whose timetable does God work by? His or ours? His timetable. How many years? Anybody have an idea how many years it was from the time Jacob went down to, uh, to, to Egypt to the time Moses brought the, 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 the Israelites out? 400 years. 400 years. See, God's promise is intact. But God works on his timetable, not our timetable. Now, I want you to think about something. I read, I, as I was reading and, and studying, uh, one of the commentators I read said something to, to this effect. And it makes perfect sense for the nation of Israel. It says, through the hardness of slavery, God formed a nation in Egypt. And as I thought about that, I thought a, a nation formed in the hardness of slavery is still struggling to this day. It is the most hated nation in the world. But God did a miraculous thing. The nation of Israel is still a strong nation. And then let's look at the final promise. I am still here. I keep my promises. I will be with thee. Your descendants will make it to the promised land. Number five, promise number five. You will be with Joseph when you die. And, J and, and Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. What's that? What's that? That's a picture of somebody closing your eyes after you die. And as strange as it may sound, for a man like Jacob, that was good news. 
that he knew that he would be with his son at least until... Now, he didn't know when he was going to die. He just knew that when he died, Joseph would be there. And to a man like Jacob, that was an incredible amount of peace in his life. The promises of God. He was 130 when he went to Egypt. He, was, he died at the age of 147. 17 years he was able to spend with his son, Joseph. Question. How do you know the will of God? How do you know? I can't tell you. There's no magical ball that's going to do it. The best thing you can do is get to Peniel. Get to Peniel and worship God. Get to know God. Get the mind of God. And walk with God. I believe this with all my heart. I have no proof. I can't prove this. But I believe that when Jacob got to Peniel, Jacob was not going to go any further, any closer to Egypt until God said, go. I just believe that. Why? Because what, what, what was the first thing he did when he got to Peniel? First thing he got to do when he, when he got to Peniel is he got there, he put up an altar, and he worshiped God. He got alone with God. He said, God, what do you want me to do? Too often, we are baited by the things that look good instead of the things that are good. There's a big difference here. Things that look good and the things that are good. Things that are good fall into the category of the will of God for our lives. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love. And Lord, I do ask as we bring our service to an end that you would speak to our hearts, that you would encourage us, that you would strengthen us, and that you would help us to see and to know the will of God. And Lord, that, o- that only happens when we get along with you. Lord, as we look at our lives and as I have looked at my life many times over the last several days, you've reminded me of my need to get along with you. And Lord, I am so thankful that you've reminded me that you're with me that you've given me the promise that you'll never leave me. Lord, I need you. We need you. Help us to walk with you. With everything.